like scary movies? Uh huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Hey everyone, welcome to the first episode of Halloween Month here at Does It Hold Up? Each week of October, we're going to be talking about another classic horror movie. This week, we're going back to 1996, and we're going to ask you one simple question. Well, besides does it hold up? But, we want to know. Do you like scary movies? What's your favorite scary movie? That's right, we're talking about Scream, the original. None of the sequels. Not the new one. <laughs> this is 1996's Scream, the first meta horror movie thing. Not the TV show either? No, God, no, definitely not the TV show. I have seen it. I have I too, actually. Not enjoy it. I'm not going to lie. There was parts of it that were actually not bad, but If you overall, get rid of, like, the second, like, the third and fourth season, it's like, okay, it's fine. If you get rid of, like, all the cast and get new cast and tell a new <laughs> story, it's, like, really good. It's, like, really good if you do all that. I actually, the one thing I really did enjoy about the Scream TV show was the mask. They designed a really creepy, cool mask that was, like, enough... Of the original? Yeah, reference the original enough, but put a whole new spin on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I really like the mask. Some of the story I thought was all right. Yeah. But, good God, just, I couldn't get past the, the kids, the, the, the actors. I just, I it, wanted them all to die. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just bad storytelling and bad acting. Just couldn't deal but, with I mean, it. But, I mean... You did get to see Bella Thorne die in, like, the first, like, five minutes of the movie. I'll so. watch that over and over and over again. It was pretty great. Yeah. All right, anyway, back to, uh... <laughs> now that we've gotten yeah. thoroughly distracted. What, what were we talking about? Right, the movie Scream. Okay. <laughs> All right, so, plot synopsis for the movie Scream. We follow Sydney Prescott, a normal teenage girl. Her boyfriend, her group of friends, a reporter woman, and a deputy who are all being stalked and killed by a mysterious figure known as Ghostface in this Halloween mask costume, all that. And mystery unravels. We get backstory for each character. Sydney's mom killed herself a year ago. No, was murdered. Murdered, that's right, murdered a year ago. It's the anniversary coming up. <gasps> oh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> everything happens on an anniversary. Everything, it's always anniversaries. So... As people start dying one by one, you're left to figure out, like, who the killer is, what the motive is. Typical whodunit horror slasher flick. And will they survive? Oh, yeah. And who's going to survive if anyone survives? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I, I was just trying not to do that. <laughs> it's probably going to happen a few more times in this episode. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> All right. So let's start with, as usual... The actors and their characters. Yes. You want to do actors first or you want to do character first? Character first, then actor. Okay, cool. So first up, we have our leading lady, Sydney Prescott. Tell me what you thought about Sydney. Or Sid. She was a bit of like a conundrum to me. Like, something about her was off and I couldn't quite, like, pinpoint what it was. Like, she was hard, but also, like had trauma that she was trying to get over but she already seemed like she was over it like it like something about it did not click with me okay <laughs> all right um 
character one, main character, does not click. Got it. <laughs> I, um, I I liked a lot of the side characters more than I liked her. <laughs> I mean, that seems to be a, a theme in most movies. They always write side characters way better because you get less of them. It's easier to write when you get less. That's fair. You know, uh, I, I like Sydney Prescott. I think she's a great, you know, spoilers, final girl. I think she is a, a, is a big difference from like the norm that we get. Where it's like, Sydney makes a lot of smart decisions in this movie. Yeah, that she, she does. She's not a damsel. She fights back. She whoops Ghostface ass constantly when they fight. Almost to the point of like, put Benny Hill music on it and, dude, it's a slapstick comedy at that point. <laughs> like, but that's what works for her. And I think that's why it's a conundrum. Because she was a conundrum for me the first couple of times I, I watched this movie too. Because I was like, why don't you act like I expect you to act? You're a final girl. You're the one being, you're the main girl. You're the one that's being stalked. Why are you not cowering in fear? And how come when the guy shows up, you're not like immediately running and, and going upstairs and locking yourself in a closet, hoping to like, what are these choices you're making? Yeah. But then at the same time, it was like, you got trauma. You're weak. You're easily pick, picked off. Like this killer, no wonder they're going after you. You seem weak <laughs> as hell, but then you're also really strong and it just, Things just never meshed, really. The more I watch this movie, though, because I've watched it a few times, the more I understand her and understand that, like, even though I expect her to have this trauma and have it affect her life where she's, like, broken, Mm -hmm. it's almost like she uses that trauma to be stronger. And that's kind of what I get over rewatches, and she develops more into a better character for me. Okay. So, maybe you just need to watch it a few more times. I was going to say, this is, once again, my first time Everything's watching Everything's your first watch. Just assume, if you're listening to this, just assume it is Emily's first watch, because everything's her first watch. Not everything. Mm. Okay? Sorry, Jurassic Park wasn't her first watch. Oh. It's like the one uh, we've mean done. Mean Girls as well. Oh, gross. Yeah, right. I, I <laughs> block that movie out. Every, like, I forget... And that I, I will literally, in like three months, you can be like, hey, do you remember Mean Girls watching it? And I'm going to be like, yeah, once, like two years ago. Yeah. And then you're going to be like, no, dude, we literally just watched it. And I'm going to be like, nope, no recollection. That's <laughs> bad. <laughs> um, all right. So, Sydney was played by Nev Campbell. Give me your thoughts. <laughs> all right, cool. Going first here. Uh, Nev Campbell, interesting role. Uh, most people knew her at this point from Party of Five, big, huge TV show at the time. And this is a big departure from that character. I actually think she did okay. I wasn't like blown away by her acting where I was like, oh, she's the star of this movie. She's so good. But like, I never watched her and went, oh, I don't believe her. Oh, that's bad. Oh, I don't like this. Like, everything was just good enough That's to get through the scene. Exactly what I thought. I was like, you're passable. Like, right. you're nothing special. Like, maybe this is also why I had a problem with the character, because I was just like, you're not the most interesting person on my screen right now. So I, d- I just didn't connect with you because you're you're just okay. And that could have been the writing. It could have been her performances included with that writing. Like, something was just not there. There wasn't a spark. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they should have probably moved on from her. So they wanted her in this role. And she turned him down. Like two or three times turned him down. She doesn't like horror movies. (laughs) She doesn't watch them. She doesn't like them. She 
thought she'd never be in one. She doesn't like them. They probably should have moved on because I think that mindset somewhat affected her ability in this movie. Well, no doubt. I mean, this is a movie that you kind of have to be a fan of horror to, to get understand into. it. Because... It's a very meta movie, and if you don't get the inside jokes, you're going to seem outside the movie. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I just don't. I think she was just fine. So, yeah, a little lackluster of a main character there. All right. Well, let's switch gears and go over to her boyfriend in the movie, Sydney's boyfriend, not Nev's boyfriend, uh, Billy Loomis. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about his character. He was so creepy the entire movie. Like, he started off okay, but, like, definitely problematic in how much he was pressuring her into everything. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, trying to be the nice guy, and I'm using air quotes there, of being like... <laughs> if you couldn't hear it air quotes <laughs> yes uh to be like oh no we we don't have to do anything if you don't want to but i really want us to like that whole but like idea. i've been waiting so patiently mm-hmm. oh my god yeah mm-hmm. so there was a creep level there and it just got worse and worse and worse as the movie went on and to the point where you're like he's probably the killer but they're pointing the pink finger at him way too hard. Way hard. So he's probably not the killer. So, like, Scream is a horror movie with comedic elements. Yeah. I won't say it's a comedy horror because that's a completely different genre. But this is got it's not a, a lot. <laughs> it's not a hormody. <laughs> okay. Or a commodore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, he goes a really hard on the horror and forgets any of the comedic stuff. That's it's, it. It's like, okay, so background. I actually, let's talk about Ski Ulrich first, who who played Billy. Yeah. What do you think? How how was his performance as Billy? He did really well at unnerving me and making me think he was super creepy. So, Which is what I think he was supposed to do. A plus there. He definitely had an intensity that I feel like none of the other people had. Yeah, it's... I like him. I think he's a decent actor. I think he probably peaked too soon before he really honed his craft. Mm. Um, But he's a decent actor. And he did really good in this role. Like, Billy is is a character. Like, he's memorable. Like, he is fleshed out. He is complete. He is... Skeet did a great job. He just was in a completely different movie compared to everybody else. (laughs) And... There's a fun little backstory to that is Skeet had no, I, not that he didn't know, he forgot multiple times while filming that it was a comedy. There's, so he talked about in interviews how he would forget that there was supposed to be comedy in this movie. He thought it was just a straight up horror. And there were times that when Wes Craven, who directed it, called Cut, Skeet would walk over to him and be like, hey, why are Matthew Lillard and Jamie Kennedy, two other actors in this, why are they reading their lines like that? Like, they're trying to be funny and they're like improving and they're just having a good time. Like, why? (laughs) And Wes had to sit him down and go, Skeet, it's a horror movie and also a comedy. (laughs) And he had to do that repeatedly. Couldn't wrap his head around no, it. No, he had, like he even admits it himself in interviews. Like he has to, he had to have Wes remind him multiple times that this movie was a comedy and a horror. Yeah. And I think he legitimately, as soon as cameras, 
as soon as the director yelled action, Skeet completely forgot that. And immediately <laughs> went time. straight horror, be as creepy as possible, and then the camera cut, and he was like, oh, damn, I was supposed to be funny, wasn't I? <laughs> Son of you a... You know, I didn't mind it, though. Like, it definitely was off, but once again, it didn't ruin the movie for no, me. No, because I think it worked. Everybody else had, had one-liners and some jokes and some funny moments. Billy never did. No. He was creepy from point A to point Z. He was definitely the straight man. In yeah, that. and I think it worked really well because you needed that. And because, you know, obviously we're going to spoil the crap out of this movie if you've never seen it. Probably just turn this podcast off now, go watch the movie, then come back and listen to us. Because <laughs> you should. Um, but clearly by the time you get to the end, it's like, oh my god, I saw it coming from a mile away, and yet I figured, no way. There's no way Billy's the killer. It's too obvious. He's too creepy. He's too yep. whatever. And then it's like, oh, but he is the killer? Well, hot damn. And Skeet did such a good job with that of making you go, God, I hate this guy. And he's so creepy, he's totally the killer. But then like five seconds later, you're like, nah, he's not the killer. He's fine. He, they're pointing the finger too much at mm-hmm. him. He must be a red herring. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah. I think it, it was great. Uh, next up is Tatum Riley, Sydney's best friend. The, the, the sexy girl. Yeah. Talk to me. Oh, uh, I can say I need a ride or die like her. <laughs> Just saying, I need someone who is willing to go to bat for me over some reporters being jerks, but then also who's gonna call me on my shiz. Who's going to hang out at the police station with you when you're freaking out? Just like, yeah, all right, chill out. Yeah. yeah. All right, we're leaving now. I don't, care, I don't care what those police officer says. We're leaving. Yep. Yeah, no. But then, I, like you said, call her out on her BS as well. Yeah. I... I think we all need a friend like Tatum because she, she talks real and she felt very real. As what about person. her um, role in the story itself outside of being Sydney's best friend? How did this character connect to the film for you? How did she fit in with everything happening? She just brings this sort of levity to the main character that we definitely need throughout with all these dramatic and tenseful moments of this killer coming after her to be able to be, breathe a sigh of relief of like oh whew, okay the friend's here we're good for now everything's gonna be okay right i really like this character because some of the guy so we already talked about billy who's super creepy yeah. her boyfriend who we're gonna talk about next and another guy they're the funny guys mm-hmm. sydney is neither straight nor funny she's our she's our base so I like that Tatum is more grounded and not super funny, but not super creepy. She gets to just be real. Yeah. She's not throwing out one-liners. She's being witty, and that's what works. It's complete departure from what everybody else is doing, what makes it feel real. Because in high school, you had a group of friends, and everybody had a different personality. Oh, yeah. Somehow you all just meshed together. So like her trying to be funny like that person, or trying to be this, or trying to be that, wouldn't have worked. She was her own character, and mm-hmm. it, it was good. Um, Ro- she was played by Rose McGowan. How do you think Rose did in this role? I think she crushed it. I think she portrayed it so realistically, and it felt so natural to her that you were just kind of drawn to this character. It felt like a real person. 
Yeah, I feel like these were the kind of roles that Rose might have been born to play, because she also plays a character like this in Jawbreaker. A great movie. Uh, another, yeah, a great movie. Uh, we'll eventually cover it. Um, and that will be one that I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> Callback. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think she she played it great. Um, there's a wonderful story that she, behind the scenes, that she really connected with this character in a way that, like, one, this is, like, her favorite movie she's ever done, she's ever acted in. She absolutely loved working on it. And two, when she first went to the costume department, they handed her a bunch of, like, here's some d- denim jeans, and in one scene they wanted her to have some de- denim overalls and, like, all this <laughs> stuff, and they were like, that's the character. She's supposed to be more like a tomboy, more of, like, the best friend tomboy. And Rose was like, absolutely not. Not at all what I thought this character should be. And after her meeting with the costume department, she left, went to the store, and bought all the clothes for her character. Because <laughs> she hated everything they had ready for her. She went, I don't want to say all of it, that's just hyperbole, but she went and bought a bunch of outfits, went back, and was like, this is what I'm going to wear. And I don't know if the costume department went, cool, we'll get more like that, or if she literally just wore everything that she bought. Mm-hmm. But that's how in tune with this character she was. She was like, I know this character, and damn, she knew this character. Yeah, dude, I don't think this character would fit in overalls. No, God, no. Not like the way the, she played it. Yeah, well, that's fair. But I don't see this character as being that, like, tomboy, like, kind of. But no, nah, she seems I more like, like the, that, like, girl in school that seems really slutty, but has had, like, the same boyfriend for four years. Yeah. But seems like she's really slutty. <laughs> and, like, it works for her. Like, nobody picks on her for it. Nobody makes fun of her. Nobody talks behind her back. She's probably friends with everybody. She just seems like that person, and I think Rose just played it great. Yeah. Next up is Stu Mocker, who is uh, Tatum's boyfriend and Billy's best friend. Tell me about Stu. He seemed overly funny, like overly likable, to the fact where it was like, it can't be this guy, obviously. He's the comic relief. He's only there to make jokes about what's going on and kind of ease the tension. So for him to be one of the killers at the end is like, uh, what? All right, so let me throw a curveball in here real quick just to bring this up. So I've seen this movie. I saw it when it first came out. Didn't know the twist. Yeah. You just watched this movie for the first time. You knew the twist. Yes. But you only knew half of it, right? Yeah. So you knew Stu was one of the killers, but you didn't know who the second killer was. Yes. Right? Okay. So that's the twist, everybody, in Scream. There's two killers. Most slashers, it's the one killer, he's unstoppable. This one, it seems like he's unstoppable. It's because there's two of them. Mm-hmm. And it was a twist when I saw it. It was, like, the biggest thing in 1996. It changed the game at that point. But I just wanted to make it clear for our audience. You knew Stu was a killer going in. Yes. You didn't know the second one. And yet, you still fell in love with his character. Oh, yeah. Where you were like, dude, come on, don't be the killer. Even after he revealed himself as the killer, I'm just like, nah. Right, I'm like, okay, <laughs> what is Bill, is Billy blackmailing you? Oh, by the way, Billy's the other killer. Um, <laughs> just because I'm just going to spoil that right now. Oh, you but you, you should you should know there's spoilers <laughs> throughout this whole episode. Um, yeah, it's like, Billy, do you blackmail over Stu? Well, no. Like, how'd you get him in on this? One of the... My favorite scenes of this movie is, you know, after they're all, like, taken down and the tides have turned. Mm-hmm. And uh, now Sydney's the one on the phone call with them. And ah, she, save that. 
I know what you're gonna say. Save it till we get to the moments. But it's fu- it it I know. explains a lot. Well, one of the funny things is when they're talking about like motives, and Billy's like, "You don't need a motive. Did these people have motives?" And blah blah blah. And then he explains his motive, which yeah. is super weird. Because I'm like, "Why do you say you t- don't need a motive, but then you clearly have a motive?" But then literally, she's like, "And Stu?" And he's like, "I don't know. Peer pressure." <laughs> That's exactly what I, the point I was gonna say. Oh, I thought you were bringing up a no. different scene. Okay. You ruined my moment. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought. You got so excited, I thought you were talking about one of your favorite moments already, and I was like, no, we'll save I mean, that that's the still end. part of it, yeah, but yeah, yeah. same scene, different life. But that whole but, idea of, like, he's yeah. just like, I don't know, peer pressure. Like, it just felt like it was something for him I'm to ve- do. I'm very weak to peer pressure. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's so funny. So funny. Uh, I think he's great. And then the actor is Matthew Lillard. Yeah. Talk to me about Matthew Lillard, and don't say anything negative, because we'll fight. No, I love him <laughs> so much. I fell in love more with things. him as soon as he was in Scooby-Doo. And he was Shaggy. I mean, he is Shaggy. I, funny thing about Scooby-Doo, sidetrack for a minute. Um, <laughs> Shaggy was always like that. And then Matthew Lillard became Shaggy in the movies. Um, he screamed for up to an hour before before scenes every day so that he could get that raspiness in his voice. Probably destroyed his yeah, throat. That's God, that good. would be terrible. But he did it because he was committed to it. And then after the movies came out and everybody loved him as Shaggy, the cartoons started transitioning more into his voice and his mannerisms, and he became the blueprint for Shaggy in the cartoons going forward. Because <laughs> he was so good. I I'm so upset that he he's not in the sequels. Like I'm like I don't really care about them now. Oh, in the Scream sequels? Yeah. Yeah. I know, because he wants to be in the sequels. He I mean, he be... literally says that in the movie. Yeah. Um, it's because I, I, like I said, I fell in love with him, and I even knew he was the killer. Because Matthew Lillard's that good. Yes. Um, I, I'm just throwing out all these stories about the actors. This is good times. Um, <laughs> so it's funny, because the writer of this movie, who is... Good God, I wrote his name down somewhere. I did not. I wrote his first name down. Okay. Kevin. <laughs> like Kevin Williamson or Wilkinson, something like that, right? <laughs> we know Kevin, it's a Kevin. Kevin W., who wrote this movie. Um, he's said in interviews that, like, he thanks God for Matthew Lillard because Stu was written very flat. No development, no anything. He didn't really know. He knew there had to be a second killer, and he knew it needed to be a friend, but he didn't know how to, like, portray that friend because he couldn't go down the route of Billy doing that kind of stuff. But he couldn't go the other way of, like, Randy being super funny and knowing things. So it was like, he didn't know what to do. And he just wrote these, like, random lines and just made the character really flat. There was nothing to it. And then Matthew Lillard came in and made this character one of the most memorable things about this movie. So many great lines. So many great facial reactions. Like, his face. He he pulls Jim Carrey in this. Where it's like, his face does stuff that human faces probably shouldn't be doing. Yeah. And it's great. And, like... He made this role. Anybody else, maybe it's okay, but he took it to a whole nother level where this character is one of the things people remember about this movie. Like, people quote him. People remember him. He became a major player in sequels. Not this character, but the name Stu Mocker became a player in sequels because of how much he brought this character to life. Yeah, I don't think this movie works without him because... You needed someone almost likable as the other killer. Somebody who's likable, but has this weird menace to them. Oh, yeah. But, like, it's a likable menace, where it's like, ooh, I'm gonna kill you, and you're like, oh, yeah, are you really? Like, 
Like, you had to have that foil to Billy's exactly. Sinister. Exactly. Yeah. So, I think Matthew Lillard, probably my favorite person in this movie. Yeah. Probably. Um, up next, we have Randy Meeks. Talk to me about Randy. Oh, my God. I <laughs> lost my place. Um, I loved him. I loved him. And this might be a, a personal thing because I... I know people like you that are uh, quote unquote cinephile. Who? What, what, what is this quote unquote thing? There's no quotes here. No, I just hate that word. Cinephile. I just hate the word. Cinephile. It's terrible. It's it's fine. Stop using it. Never, never. <laughs> but someone who absolutely loves movies and will literally go on a rant about movies, even in the most almost inappropriate Listen, times. Listen, we were watching this movie and I paused it like four times to be like, "Hey, did you know?" and talk about parts of the movie or give some background on what was happening in the movie. It was also during like the worst times where I'm just like, ah, it was not. Are, I always go going. No. I I always make sure to pause it at, at appropriate times. It's uh-huh. not like somebody's about to get stabbed and I'm like, pause. Did you know that knife was fake? <laughs> like, no. First of all, I don't boop boop. I'm not TiVo. That, that, right? I was talking the no. <laughs> like, come on. I was bringing up the noise the TV makes. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, but yes, I, I do do that. <laughs> just going to so put it out there. <laughs> having a character just like him who was still funny and so, like, into everything that he was doing and saying made but me love clever him. too he oh, wasn't yeah. just funny like his knowledge of movies was critical to this movie oh yeah without a lot of his commentary and a lot of his like wink wink nudge nudge moments this movie doesn't work as a comedy absolutely and then he is played by jamie kennedy what do you think well, obviously, I love him since I love the character. Well, I yeah, thought... but I'm saying, like, what, how was his portrayal of the character? Do you think he nailed... Do you think the character was good, or do you think Jamie Kennedy made the character good? I think Jamie Kennedy made the character good, because it's really hard to fake that kind of enthusiasm, like, to the extent that he had of this character, of movies, especially horror movies. It's not easy to really, like, fake that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, I felt like he was to his core an actual fan of horror movies. I feel like this this character, Randy, almost maybe was an extension of Jamie. Like, Jamie really felt like he was Randy. Yeah. Because it didn't seem like he was really acting. It just felt like maybe Wes Craven was like, hey, do you do you, do you you know about this movie? And he went, oh, sh- yeah, let me tell you all about this movie. <laughs> and then Wes Craven was like, cool, let's film that. Yeah. Just uh, keep talking there. <laughs> I'm just, do- ignore the camera. <laughs> what camera? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> So, yeah, I think Jamie Kennedy was really good, and uh, you know what? Screw it. We got fun stories about all these people. So, (laughs) Jamie Kennedy got, he went through the whole hiring process, the whole casting process, and it was down to him and a few other people, and Wes Craven has come out and said in interviews, the reason Jamie Kennedy got this role over everybody else was because he could infuse comedy into serious lines without making them comedic. He didn't go overboard where it was like, watch me turn this line into something really funny that you're going to laugh at. He says these really serious lines with this hint of funny in them, and it just made Wes Craven chuckle. And he was like, cool, you just have the part. Yeah, I'm it, done. That's it, all I got. It felt so natural. Right? Like, he's accusing somebody of being a killer, and yet you're like, that's kind of funny the way you're doing it. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's really serious at the th- same time. So, like, I don't want to laugh. 
but I'm definitely half smiling because I'm trying to hold it in. Yeah. And it works. It really works. Oh, yeah. Jamie Kennedy crushed that role. Uh, last four that I want to talk about, we're just going to kind of run through these real quickly. Gail Weathers, the reporter, she was okay. She, she, she played her role. She was supposed to be a bitchy reporter and freaking she was a bitchy reporter. Yeah, I, in fact, the second time she was on my screen, I, I said I hope she died. Yeah, literally the second scene and she's like, yeah, she's going to die. I hope she dies. I was like, dude, she's literally been on screen for 45 seconds. Yeah. And you're like, doesn't matter. Want her to die. Yep. But that was the whole point. You're, she's supposed to be unlikable. Mm-hmm. She was played by Courtney Cox, who I'm just going to throw out the fun story right up top here. She had to, like, basically stalk the studio and the producers to get this job because she was in the middle. It's 1996. Friends is at its peak. You know, it's it's the biggest show in the world. Everybody's watching it. She plays Monica, this little neat, free, cleaning lady who's nice to everybody. And that's just what she was typecast as because of that role. And she had to fight this studio to be like, hire me for this role because I want to play a bitch character. And good God, she crushed it. Yes, because I don't even think of Monica when I watch this movie. I think, oh my God, somebody punch her in the face. And then when she gets punched in the face, I'm like, yes! <laughs> Do it again! Wish fulfillment. Yes. So she crushes this role for me. I will still never understand the fascination with the friends. Ah, no more tangents. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> um, then we have Deputy Dewey, played by David Arquette. I was surprised to find out that a lot of people really like this character. When love I love this character, when I was just like, "Why are you so overly incompetent? Like well, so overly naive?" So we had we had this little bit of a conversation after we watched the movie, and I got to tell you, I I hope it made sense, kind of what I was saying, because this is a small town. This is a small town who's never like Sydney's mom dying a year ago was like the biggest thing that's ever happened in this. That's why there's a town. book. Right, there's a book it. coming out about it. It's like the biggest thing that's ever happened. He's 25 in a small town whose biggest crime was was a murder. Everything else he's ever had to see or deal with was like people jaywalking. He doesn't need to be tough. He's not a hardened New York City cop coming to a small town to like get out of the big city. This is where he grew up. It's like, oh, I got to stop this kid from stealing a candy bar at the local grocer. <laughs> like, that's the most he has to do. So, like, I don't think he's so, I don't think he's as much incompetent as more of just, he understands small town life. Where it's just like, it's fine. That's fair. I just, I, I got to be more chill. I can't be super hard ass. Yeah. I mean, I got it. It just, it rubbed me the wrong way. And I think it was just at the beginning that it rubbed me the wrong way. And I just kept going from there. So, I really, I really like doing, I think most people do too, because... He is slow, he's super friendly, he's all that. But at the same time, like, he's ready to protect. Like, he takes his job seriously when he needs to. Yeah. When it's like, hey, you need to stay by Sydney and watch over her. He's there. Uh, Sydney's having a sleepover at Tatum's house. Dewey is Tatum's brother. Um, so they all live in the same house. And Sydney's spending the night over there, and the girls are talking, and they scream. And he, within seconds, is in their room with his gun ready to go. He is on it when he needs to be on it. Though I was very upset to find that he already had his finger on the trigger. Just yeah, Well, he wasn't taught right. So <laughs> I actually really like the character. And I think David Arquette was the perfect role because he has that face. Oh, he's lovable. Just, I just want to hug you, my man. Yeah. Like, come over here, get a hug, protect me. This is going to be great. Yeah. 
and Arquette just crushed it. He he has he fit that role perfectly. He was super lovable. Yeah, I'll give him that. Um, all right. So I know you guys are probably like, oh my god, you passed up one of the biggest parts of the whole movie. Yeah, we're getting there. Next up, Drew Barrymore plays Casey in the first thirteen minutes of the film. I know you have a problem with this character. I'm and gonna let you. I'm gonna let you air it out right now. It is just, and then I'm gonna come back at you. Go. It is a super personal choice that has no bearing on her actual ability. I just thought she played it a little too weepy. And ex- explain. Come on, give okay, me more. So, give me more. I don't know. Just something again was off about her, like performance for me. Just something didn't feel real. Something felt off, and I couldn't fully pinpoint it. Like we watched it twice. Because this came to be a huge argument. Uh, but I, I can't, like, put my finger on exactly it. Just there's certain moments that I'm like, this does not feel genuine. And I, I, I don't understand why I feel that way. That's just how I feel. I'm going to, I'm, all right. All right, <laughs> all right. Let me just cut you off here. Uh, she was great. She was great. She got this movie in theater. She got butts in the seat. Because she was a huge name at the time. She took this small part because they wanted her to be in a bigger role. But she couldn't do it because she had other commitments. And she committed to this role because she looked Wes Craven in the face and said, If you put me in there and everybody comes to see me and I die in the first ten minutes, no one will have any idea what to expect in this movie. Yeah. And Wes said, Brilliant, let's do it. And then he just let her go. And I think it works because... She's supposed to be like a 16-year-old girl, home alone, about to watch horror movies, waiting on her football boyfriend to come. And don't get me wrong, there's moments where I'm like, girl, bring it down like 58%. Like, just back it up a little bit. But overall, out of the 13 minutes, maybe 45 seconds of that are like, oh, that's too much. Everything else I think is really spot on. I think it's like, she's messing. You gotta remember, this is 1996. We weren't... Everybody wasn't up each other's ass about, like, oh, my God, I'm so scared about everything. How dare you talk to a person? Like, yeah, when you were 10 back then, it was like, hey, stranger danger, don't talk to people. She's 16. She can talk to somebody on the phone. That's fine. And she's messing with them. She thinks it's a wrong number. They're flirting. They're having a good time. She doesn't think anything's going to come of it. And then you say she gets too weepy. But, dude, this this guy calls her back and is like, you ever hang up on me, I'm going to gut you like a fish. Though, I will say, she never once thinks it's a prank. Where we're prank, prank calls, not a thing. No, I mean, they were, but not to that extent. They, <laughs> now, that extent happened after this movie came out. Oh, I don't doubt. People were calling and saying that crap all the time. But, no, it didn't It didn't go there. Again, you got to remember, also, small town. Things like that don't really happen. So she assumed it was just a wrong number until it got crazy. And then it immediately was like, okay, this must be real. Because stuff like this doesn't happen. Okay, I guess I'm of a different, like, generation to where this stuff always I mean, you were three happened. when this movie came out, so... I, I grew up because of yeah, this movie. Because I of grew this up movie, hardened. you grew up in a different <laughs> era than us before you. So, um, alright, so I think she was great. I think her being such a big name in 1996 and getting killed off so quickly just set a great precedent for this movie. Oh, yeah. And I think Drew Barrymore's performance in it really put everybody on edge at the beginning. She brought that character to life in only 10 minutes, enough that we cared when she died, and that's what got us ready for everything else that was about to happen. Oh, yeah. this so, was, That was part of my fun with Google, was actually the fact that she was up for Sydney, and yeah. she she specifically chose correct to be Casey. Because she didn't have the time to do it, because she was on other things, yeah. and that's why she was like, I want to be this other role, because it will set a great idea. Yeah. 
Last one I want to talk about here because, oh God, we are long on the actors today. There's a lot of actors. There's a lot again, just like last week. Um, Is the voice. The voice. Of voice. On the phone of, hey, do you like scary movies? It's the voice. No one can do the voice except this one guy. His I was name gonna is, say you definitely sound like a smoker. Aunt. I'm a smoker. <laughs> um, his name is Roger Jackson, and I'll start off again with a fun little story about him. He was a placeholder. Wes Craven just needed somebody to say the lines so that people could act to it, and he was like, "Hey, Roger, do this," and he just brought this voice out, and Wes was like, "All right." We're still going to replace you in post. And when they got to post and they were like listening to it and watching the footage, they realized how good the voice was. And Wes was like, nah, we good. Leave it. <laughs> Just leave it. We good. Don't touch it. Hey, that's when you give your all, even if you're a placeholder, because you never know. You never know. And that's what's so crazy is like, even after they heard him, they still were going to replace him until the movie came together. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh no, this is just too good. And, like, I, I can't say much more than that because if the director is like, hey, uh, this voice is so good that we were going to replace it, but now we're not going to, who am I to say it's bad? Oh, yeah. no, it's it was good. wonderful. It was menacing and yet had enough of that, like, teenage in it so that you could kind of, like, start hinting at, oh, it's it's probably someone we know yeah. that is doing this because it has that kind of age to it yeah roger jackson did a really good job of making it sound like it was a teenager having menace in it but also a sort of flirtiness Mm -hmm. where you were like i don't really know what you're trying to get at here with the way you're talking but it's creepy (laughs) and i like it another fun little thing real quick about the voice and then we'll move on is he was those were actual phone calls They had him actually call and speak to them on the phone from a cell phone. He would be out in a trailer or somewhere else. He would call them on a cell phone and actually do the lines with them so that they were getting an actual reaction. And none of the cast members were allowed to talk to Roger Jackson before they had to film a scene with him so that they could get natural reactions to the voice on the other end of the phone. Ah. So. Movie magic. Movies. Movies are great. All right, moving on from characters and actors, we're going to go right into critic response and box office. Mm -hmm. You know my guy, Roger Ebert. Love him. Probably the most well-known and well-respected outside of a few others uh, movie critic that anybody knows, right? So he gave this movie, he only goes up to four stars, if you didn't know. He he never went up to five. It was always a four-star count. He did three out of four stars. Wow. It's pretty good for a horror movie. Yeah. He's not a huge... horror films. Roger Ebert was notorious for not really being that big of a horror movie fan. He liked them. He could appreciate them. But he was always like, I don't know, middle of the road. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, So three stars for this one. It's just insane. And then he had this wonderful quote about the movie. And I think this encapsulates it perfectly why it got that rating. Quote, The movie itself... For all of its ironic in-jokes, also functions as a horror film, a bloody and gruesome one, that uses as many cliches as it mocks. And I think that is a perfect encapsulation of what this movie is and how you should feel about it. It's a satire. It's mocking horror movies. 
And yet it's a really good, gruesome horror movie at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that's what Ebert liked about it. He was like, I don't know. Somehow it works. Yeah. If you if you if you can check out RogerEbert.com, it has his entire catalog of reviews for his entire career, all all digitized, and read through this one because he gave it three out of four stars. But when I was reading the review, the first page of his review, I was like, man, he hates this movie. How did it get this rating? Because he's just like, no, 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 <laughs> and then all of a sudden he just flips and he's like, but, and it's really it's a great read. I, I recommend it. Um, so Rotten Tomatoes, biggest review site in the world right now, current critic score for this movie is a 79%, so that means that obviously critics are still enjoying this movie to a point. Yeah, much better than most horror films. Much better than most horror films. Uh, the audience score, believe it or not, is actually also 79%, so audience and critics agree, which is super odd because that never happens. Usually horror movies are tanked with the critics, and loved by the audience. Either that or vice versa. Yeah, it's super weird. Um, box office. Domestically, this movie in 1996 played for almost eight months in theaters. Dang. Almost eight months. Almost an entire year of people being able to go see this movie. Bring that, Dear Hollywood, bring that back. I love that. It's okay if you don't make $70 million opening weekend. Let the movie play out. We just saw it with Top Gun Maverick. It was still, this past weekend, in the top 10 movies at the box office. It is in its 19th week in theaters, still in the top 10, making over a million dollars a weekend. Yeah. That's just the weekend, let alone the other million it picks up during the week. Let movies play out. It's okay. Yeah. Not everybody cares if it jumps to streaming right away. Clearly, if it's a good movie, people will go see it. Mm -hmm. So this movie played for eight months. It made one hundred and three million four hundred no one hundred and three million forty six thousand six hundred and sixty three dollars domestically, an estimated seventy million internationally for about one hundred and seventy three million worldwide. On a budget, take a guess. What do you think? Low, high? What do you? Yeah. Over under twenty million. I was gonna say about twenty million. Yeah, fifteen. Oh. This movie was made on fifteen million. Now. This movie was made for $15 million, made $100 million domestically. Dang. Last week we talked about Clue. It made $13 million domestically on a $15 million budget. <laughs> Just goes to show that it's never about how much money you spend. It's about the quality of the film. Now, Clue was good, but I think it got good over time. This yeah. movie just hit the zeitgeist at the right point. Scream was just like, we need this. Oh, yeah. So. Clue was ahead of its time. Absolutely. All right. Next up, we're getting into our two fun sections here. We really get to break down parts of the movie. We're going to do our what holds up section and our what doesn't hold up section. Yeah. And go ahead. Hit me with some stuff. What do you got? Uh, in my what works, definitely how meta it is. That is probably the thing that holds up the best to me is that it's literally making fun of moments that are actually happening in the movie. Like the part with uh, Randy watching a movie, a horror movie, telling a person, hey, turn around, turn around, there's someone behind you, and there's literally someone behind him. Oh, but it's even a step farther because he's watching Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis and he's screaming, turn around, Jamie, Jamie, he's right behind you. Jamie, turn around. And it's just... So meta, because 
Randy is played by Jamie Kennedy. He's literally <laughs> screaming at himself to turn around yeah. and doesn't. Oh, love that moment. Yeah, it's it's really good. Uh, other things that I really enjoy that I think hold up is the amount of gore. I, I thought it was done very well and very yes. almost tastefully. It's not hostile. It's not torture porn or anything like yeah. that. Where it's like we need to overshow it. But it's gruesome enough that you're like, ooh, okay. Yeah, ooh, ah, that that definitely will kill you. Yeah, but I understand. Not like being that cartoony squirt out of mm. the body, like a lot of horror. That was one thing do. I really appreciate. Like you're getting these massive stab wounds in some of these people, or they're getting shot with guns, and it's never like big, huge messes where it's like they get shot and there's just blood everywhere. Yeah, it's or get stabbed and it's, every, like and it's all over the person's face. Hose. And it's always, it was so realistic where if it was like, hey, here's some footage of somebody being stabbed for real, I'd be like, yeah, I believe it. Yeah. That looks right. So I thought that was done really well. Um, I highly appreciate all the smart choices that were made in this film. I thought that was a really nice touch that they weren't just making dumb choices. They they took to heart all the things that made... They knew from horror movies. Yes. yes. They they were fans enough of horror movies to, while making some of the same mistakes, but like kind of on purpose, they also made smart choices and made especially their lead character smart enough to be making those kind of choices Absolutely. that help. Absolutely. Especially when they use callbacks like the fact that her closet door kind of barricades her actual door. Yeah. And that's a part that's kind of saves her, but we got that at the right, beginning like, what, of the movie. What a nice little moment of just open the door. So if he opens the door, it's hitting another door and he's not getting in. Yeah. Yeah, great. great. It was it was so good. Um and then I the last one I really want to talk about is it it played really well having the two characters. And the two killers? The two killers, sorry. Okay, okay. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> I was like it had more than two characters, but yes, two killers. Yes. Um I really like the fact that they always had one kind of it visible in the scene. So you could never... Or accounted never... for in some way. Exactly. Yes. So you could never quite pinpoint who it was going to be based on who was in the scene because, and this was kind of going into it, I knew there was two characters, two killers. Um, but had I not known that, it would have been very, very hard to pinpoint who those kill- who the killer was. Because there was never a direct person that couldn't do all that could do all of it. Absolutely. So I thought they did that really well. Absolutely. So I agree with you on the things that you said that do work, that do hold up. One thing that I ho- think holds up really well in this movie is their female characters. Yeah. They are strong. They are independent. They are badass. They control things. They are not damsels. They are written well. They don't have any moments where you're like, oh, yeah, because she's a girl. They made her say this or mm-hmm. do this or do that. Like, even our, our friend Tatum, who's supposed to be the, the slutty one, the more ambiguous one, even she's a badass. Like, oh, yeah. when she gets killed in the garage and she thinks it's just Randy in the costume, the way she plays into it, the way that as soon as she finds out, like, oh, this is a little too re- real, she's like, listen, dude, back up or I'm going to beat the crap out of you. Like, what's up? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm so chuck tough. These beer They're chucking at you. beer bottles. Like, the killer's right. It's one of my favorite moments ever because, like, what a smart choice this was. You talk about smart choices. This was a smart choice. Tatum's in the garage. She's fighting with Ghostface. She runs away because she, you know, pushes him back. He's running at her. She swings the fridge open, 
a, a, the yeah. freezer door on a fridge. He runs smack into it, hits the ground. Brilliant. Oh, yeah. What a moment. That is a great... Instead of being like, I need to hide in a corner, she looks around and goes, I'm going to hit him with this damn door. That's going to put him on his ass. And that was a wonderful case of doing everything right and it's still, still going wrong. That's one of my... So that was my second point about what holds up in this movie is all the great decisions and they still don't play out the way they should. Yeah. It's like, okay... Sydney beats the crap out of Ghostface a few times in this. Every time she gets attacked, she seems to get the upper hand for the most part. Tatum fought back, got the upper hand. Even at the beginning, Casey makes great decisions. Yep. And yet both Casey and Tatum still die. Mm-hmm. No matter what decision, they make great decisions and they still die. And I think that's what holds up for me so well because that's just how life is. You can make great decisions and it's still not going your favor. Oh, yeah. And it's so much better than them making just dumb decisions. Right, like running outside and tripping over a non-existent something so that the killer has time to catch up to you. No, in this one, Casey runs at the beginning. She sees her parents pulling up the driveway, and she runs. Unfortunately, Ghostface is faster and just catches up to her. Yeah. She doesn't trip. She doesn't run into anything. She doesn't slow down to look at him. She Nothing. She is running. Ghostface just catches her. Yeah, and that's realistic. Tatum looks around, beats the crap out of him. The door's locked. She can't open it. She looks for another escape. She crawls through the pet door. Didn't work out for her, but what a great decision. That's your only out. You might as well try it. Yeah. Great. Great decisions all around. So I think female empowerment is huge in this movie. Two dudes are the killers, and the women whoop the crap out of them constantly. Though I will say a uh, point of, like, just sadness for me mm-hmm. was when um, Sydney kind of gives up her virginity. He's like, oh, I'm I, oh, we'll get there. I'm so upset that you're still mad at me, so I'm just going to give in. Yeah, we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> um, that's a big thing that's going to come up in my next section. Um, so moving on, we're going to go to what doesn't hold up from this movie. And one of my big ones was that particular scene you just brought Go up. for it. Where she thinks Billy's one of the killers. He's been pointed at a few times. He's been arrested. He's acting really odd. And Tatum is, they have a conversation and Tatum's like, you know, Billy doesn't, you don't deserve Billy because like you're being a prude. And it's like, that's how a friend would talk. Be like, you know, he's not a killer. He's not, you know, all this stuff. And you're still holding out for what? You've been together forever. What are you doing? So she almost gets peer pressured by her friend and which is also gives, shitty. Which is also super shitty. And then gives into it when Billy shows up and is just like, I'm really sorry about all this stuff that's happening. I still love you, though. And she's like, cool, let's have sex. Yeah. And it's like, that doesn't that that one scene kind of counteracts the rest of Sydney that we get in every other scene. Oh, yeah. It, it seems very out of place. It's like, I'm going to placate you. I'm going to make you happy by giving you the one thing that you've wanted. That now, I she wants it in you. that moment, too. Don't don't get me wrong. She definitely is not pressured in that moment because he doesn't bring it up. He's just there to talk to her, and they're hugging, and she says something about being in a porn. And he goes, what? She goes, yeah, you heard me. And it's like, get naked. Let's go. Like, she, she pushes it there. She's yeah. the one that, that starts it. But it just seems out of place for her character, and I don't think that scene holds up. I don't think we need it. No. In the movie, it's the the only thing is like 
she's on the chopping block now and she's in a horror film and she just And I think sex. that was one of the reasons they had they put it in is because like the rule only virgins survive. If you have sex you die. Randy talks all about it when he's talking about all the rules of horror movies. So in our heads we're like, "Oh dude, she's not a virgin anymore. She's going to die." But then she doesn't. So it's one of those ways that Scream could break the mold from every rule that we knew beforehand yeah so i think that's why it was put in but if you're gonna do something like that just just make her not a virgin from the start because that scene is very jarring and just completely stops the movie where you're just like i'm sorry what is that literally happening right now well well, all this other stuff is happening you're worried about having sex (laughs) come on i mean go the route of cabin in the woods where they portray someone who who has already had sex as the virgin, you know? Yeah, something. Exactly. Like, so that it was unnecessary, and I, I, it left a bad taste in my mouth. So that was one of the big things that didn't work for me. One of the other big things that didn't work for me is the creepiness of Billy Loomis. I kind of maybe understand what they were going for there. I think it was a little too on the nose, especially when he then does become the killer. I know I've already praised it at the beginning, but I also don't think it would hold up because it's just... It's so, so out much. of place. It's so You don't much. fit in this movie, man. It's dial it back a little bit. Give us a little bit of a break between your growl, growling stare that you do. Like, <laughs> give me something else. And your character takes on a little more depth. And then when he's the killer, it's a little more of a, a, a shock. Yeah. Because it was, we're pointing the finger so hard at you that there's no way you're the killer. But also, mm-hmm. you have to be the killer. So that doesn't hold up for me either. What do you got? Uh, for me, a big issue I had with the film was the the party with the curfew. It made absolutely no sense. It it opened up so many plot holes of like all these businesses are closed for a curfew, but there's a party that's happening and nobody that, cares. And and that this deputy brings these girls to, like what? Yeah. And then yeah. and then at one point. You know, Bill, not, no, Stu is having people leave and he's like, happy curfew. Like, it's now curfew time, but there's still people like, at the party. But also, like, it's pitch black outside. So is curfew like midnight? What's curfew here? Yeah, it, it made absolutely no sense. So it just it, it caused a lot of confusion. And I think they needed to work that better. Agreed. Agreed. One of the other things that didn't hold up for me, and then we'll go back to you to give anything else that you got is Gail Weathers and her insistence on being everywhere. And I get it. You're a reporter. You're trying to get the story. But, like, her placing herself in harm's way to get a story just feels so anti-Gail Weathers. (laughs) Which is weird because she's the one doing it. But, like, they set her up to be like, I need to get this story. I'm a super good reporter. I'm blah, blah, blah. And then she's like... Nah, just kidding. I'm going to go put myself in this way without a camera, without anything. Mm-hmm. I'm just part of the story now. And yeah. it's like, no, no, no. I thought you wanted to tell the story, not be a part of the story. So that character was a little confusing for me. Mm-hmm. And Deputy Dewey is also something that doesn't hold up for me. Only because I just don't get the character. I know I said earlier, like, I understand he's in a small town, he's this or that, but, like, what are you doing bringing these girls to this party after curfew? 
and then you leave them, even for a little bit. You were explicitly told, stay with Sydney. So if you guys watch the Cinema, Sin- Cinema Sins channel on YouTube, which I recommend, great channel, uh, they always talk about the power of boners is stronger, mm-hmm. and that's legitimately what happens here. The yeah. power of boners is stronger than his need to be a cop. And I feel like that's the only way the writer knew how to remove him from the story or else none of it would have happened because yeah. he would just pull his gun and be like, come at me, bro, and shoot him. <laughs> so they had to get it. But then also, like, somehow he just gets stabbed. We yeah. don't even see it. All of a sudden he's just stabbed and it's like, oh, well, there goes Dewey. Yep. So I'm just like, a lot of times the story works really well. Mm-hmm. And then there's other times where it's just like, you ran, we can see you run into a wall and not know how to handle this. Yeah. And that's what doesn't work for me. There's one too many moments of that. Yeah. You got anything else under your, what doesn't hold up? Yeah, this is another one of those, like, super personal choices of mine. But, like, some of the camera work doesn't work for me. Um, especially stuff like the weird Dutch angle at the opening scene, but not when it's super creepy. It's just when she's talking on the phone and things are okay still. But for some reason, we're on a Dutch angle. That's never done again throughout the rest of the film. And then the weird fisheye lens that's like half fisheye, just a little bit of a wide angle, but puts everything in a weird light. And I'm just like, I don't get it. it. Is, it's, an extra, it. it's an extra wide lens. So it's not fisheye where it's going to like distort the yeah. edges. It's just an extra wide lens. So it like stretches everything a little bit. And it, it is a little disorienting. But it wasn't used in any scene that like actually needed it. It was just like the one scene I remember it being in a lot because it made absolutely no sense was with the principal. Like, just him being in his office, and it was like, but why is why are you doing this? It yeah. makes no sense to me. Uh, my last thing, do you have any more for no. the what doesn't work? Okay, my last what doesn't hold up is the disjointedness between, and I love the opening yeah. with Drew Barrymore. That 13 minutes is fantastic. But for me, it's a lot like the movie Up, where the first 15 minutes of that movie feels disjointed from the second half of the the rest of the movie. Yeah. The part with Casey and Scream feels very disjointed to the rest of the movie. And I get it. That's where we get introduced to Ghostface and all this stuff. But that seems very much like this is a hard horror. Mm -hmm. And then we jump into some comedy horror and it's jarring. And I'm not a huge fan of that transition. Um, it almost feels like, and they get into this in Scream 2, because in Scream 2, there's a movie called Stab. There's a movie within a movie. And that movie, Stab, is based on the events of Scream 1. Yeah. Right? It's, it gets real meta in the second <laughs> one. Real meta. But that's what this first 15, 13 minutes with Casey felt like. It felt like a different movie inside the movie I'm watching. Mm-hmm. And I don't i love the opening scene it's wonderfully suspense suspenseful and terrifying but i just don't like it as the opening to this movie yeah so those are the things that doesn't that don't hold up for me all right we're gonna roll into our next category which is what ifs Mm -hmm. so i got some what ifs for you i have two for you excellent uh why don't you hit me with one of yours first and then we'll do mine Okay, Randy. 
Okay, Randy, Jamie Kennedy. What if Seth Green? Ooh. I I don't know. Seth Green's a good actor, and he probably could have played the part because he looks like a video store clerk, like that Mm -hmm. nerdy kind of movie lover. I think he takes it too funny, though. I don't think he gets to play the seriousness that Jamie brought to it. He goes a little too like, oh, my God, I can't believe you guys don't know the rules. Let me tell you all about them, number one. (laughs) And it just gets really weird. Um, I mean, this is a guy who did Robot Chicken, so. Right, like, he's got a different sense of humor that I think wouldn't have played well with the movie. Yeah. But that's interesting. I I would definitely check it out. Yeah. I don't know if I'd like it, but I would watch it. Mind you, these are all people who were kind of up for the film. They, these aren't like our choices. No, no, these were all, these are the what ifs as in like, these people were almost cast in this role. Meaning they either auditioned or they were offered this role. Yeah. That's what our what ifs are. Yeah. All right, here's a what Check if. Check out our secondary podcast for a either sequel or reboot. Ooh, yeah, plug. Every Tuesday, <laughs> you're going to get a secondary podcast from us. Uh, it's going to be, does it hold up sequels and prequels, sequels and reboots and Coming this Tuesday will be Scream's sequel or reboot, and it's going to be us pitching you one of those two things. Come check it out. With cast that are from today. Yes. Yes. All right. I got a what if for you. Yes. Sydney Prescott, mm-hmm. currently played by Nev Candle. Can- Candle? <laughs> Nev Campbell. What if it was... Dun, 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 Reese Witherspoon. No. I'd go hard no on that. That's fair. What about Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Melissa Joan Hart? She might have been able to do it. I think she would have been a little, I want to say kooky, but not. To me, a little too bubbly. Yeah. A little too, like, I wouldn't have understood the serious points. Kind of both the same issue on both of their ends. That's fair. They would have been a little too comedic in this role that's supposed to be, like, the straight man. Here's here's the most interesting one that I found for for Sydney. Mm Mm-hmm. Molly Ringwald, who would have been 27 at the time of filming, filming, which isn't that old because uh, Skeet Ulrich was 26 when filming this. Like, none of them look like teenagers. They all look like they're 30 playing teenagers. So she would have fit in, but Molly Ringwald, 1980s teenage dream girl. Yeah, I I don't see it. Like, I see it and I don't at the same time. That's a weird one. I think it, That's a weird pull. I think it completely changes the movie, and yeah. I can't tell if it would be for the better or for worse. Yeah. But it'd be interesting. That would be inter- That one would definitely yeah. be interesting. All right, I got one more for you, and then we'll, and then we'll go back to yours. All right. Um, Billy, currently okay. played by Skeet Ulrich. Yeah. What if it was Leonardo DiCaprio who screen tested? No. It was this close. This close. No, because isn't he coming off of um, Romeo and Juliet? Yep, he's coming off Romeo and Juliet, and he's a year out from doing Titanic. No, I think he would have been too much of a baby face to do this role. I don't think people would have been able to see him as a killer at this point. I agree. I think he plays it a little too soft. What is interesting about that and why I wanted to throw his name out there, if he does this movie, he's not in Titanic. Yeah. Right? Like, he couldn't do this movie and roll right into Titanic, which would have been... Titanic took a long time to make. He would have been finishing up this project as Titanic was starting. He wouldn't have been able to do both. So, like, we get a whole new Titanic at that point, too. 
really changed the game. He made a smart choice. Or I, someone made a smart choice for him. I, I don't even know if it's a smart choice because Scream was huge as well. Not as big as Titanic, but this is a classic horror. Like, it's remembered. Yeah. So, uh, another one I got for Billy is Joaquin Phoenix. Ooh. I love Joaquin Phoenix. I think he would have done great. I think he can play that edge. Obviously, yeah, but does he have the seen... look? Yeah. Well, I I don't know. Like, I can't picture him back then. Because he looks exactly the now. same as he does now. Just not as scruffy. I think he would have removed the beard, removed well, the long hair. He might not have been like teen dream enough for it. I think so. We have a problem with Skeet being a little too creepy, menacing, and yeah. creepy. I think Joaquin has the same problem. I don't know. I thought too much. I liked him in. Um, Oh my god. We that movie. Yeah, that movie that we just covered. Not just covered, but we covered on this movie. Uh, on this podcast. Um, Joaquin. Oh, Signs. Signs. Yes, I was like, it's an S name. <laughs> um, I thought he was fine in that. He wasn't creepy at all. He was yeah, that a lovable was, character. That was five years removed from this, though. Yeah, so? Five years can change a lot. Was it five years before or five years after? Five years after. Well, then he probably was more lovable then. Signs was 2000 and. Time was 2002. This was 96. Actually, six years after this movie. So he's probably more lovable then. I don't know. I, I just think he's a little too sinister, maybe. He mm-hmm. goes too far. Last one I have for Billy, just real quick. David Arquette, who's Dewey, actually tested and auditioned to play Billy and almost got the role. Now talk about someone who's too lovable. Yeah, I just don't see it. Period. No. All right. Hit me, <laughs> hit me with your other what if. Um, and then I got one more for you. Gail. Okay, Gail. I have two. Brooke Shields. Absolutely the hell not. <laughs> Keep Brooke Shields out of my movies, period. Okay. Next. Uh, Janine Garofalo. Um, man, that's, that's not redeemable. <laughs> right? Like, and that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing, right? It sounded Janine, so bad. <laughs> I know, but Janine Garofalo would have crushed the bitchy reporter. Yeah. But if we're supposed to want her and Dewey together at the end, if they're supposed to have a weird flirting thing, Janine couldn't do it. That's fair. And so, like, I think 75% of the role, she would have she would have crushed it. She would have nailed it. It would have been the best thing ever. And then the other 25% would have just been like, oh, my God, this is a pile of sh-. <laughs> So, no. To be fair, I still didn't want her and uh, you are one of Dewey the few. to get together. I didn't All right, care. last one I got for you, <laughs> Stu Mocker. Played by Matthew Lillard in the movie. Just no. Anyone else? No. <laughs> Wait, let, me, let me tell you first. I don't care. It I actually is one of his Scooby-Doo castmates. Okay. Freddie Prinze Jr. Well, now you put me in a bind because I want Freddie Prinze Jr. on my TV screen at all times. He's, so. a, he's a good looking man. I just don't think he could have done the level of like goofy yet seriousness. I think he would have gone too far one way or the other. Agreed. I think he could have been, he could have done the lovable or the, the creepy. I don't think he would have blended. Yeah. And that's not to say he's not a good actor. No, no. It, I just don't see him being able to do it. And I don't think he could be as crazy. Those big faces, that, yeah. that, that movement. I don't think he could have done it. Yeah. And Stu's one of my favorite parts, so I'm with you. Don't, dear Hollywood, please put Matthew Lillard in more things. Everything possible. He was wonderful when he was younger, and if you see images of him nowadays, he looks incredible. He 
is a very good-looking man now, and he can still act, so put him in the things. Hey, Marvel, you getting everyone else, get him. Yeah, give him Reed Richards. Do it. Do it, you cowards. All right. All right. <laughs> next up, next up is our fun times with Google section. Okay. So I'll give you one, and we'll go back and forth until one of us runs out. Probably we, me. <laughs> or, yeah, or until we both run out. All right. So this one is kind of a dual fun with Google. Okay. You can go online, and you can find people speculating on what character was was it Billy or was it Stu killing each person. Okay. Well, there's only one time that we know for sure. Billy was the one who killed Tatum. And the only reason we know that is because Skeet Ulrich said so. <laughs> he said so in an interview that Billy is the one who killed Tatum. Well, I mean, really? Makes sense. Yeah. I, I could have sworn Billy was having sex with the, uh, what's her name at the time? Billy said it. So if Billy's the one who said he did it, I gotta believe him. Unless he's lying because he's a bad guy. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. There it is. <laughs> Haven't done it in a while. You were waiting for it, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Um. No. Okay. But to go with that is like, that's one of the things that makes this movie rewatchable for me is figuring out who the k- killer is. Even if I just don't care about anything else happening, it's like, I just want to watch those Which parts. Which one is it? Who's in the suit? In fact, neither of them are ever in the suit. <laughs> uh, Matthew Lillard and Skeet Ulrich were never in the suit because it's always like stunt work. It's always this. So it was just a stunt person yeah. at all times, except for one scene. And this is why these two things kind of go hand in hand in, in my fun times with Google. One scene, Skeet was in the costume. Okay. Because he, he begged Wes Craven to do this one part. And it's the part where Ghostface is sneaking up on Randy laying on the couch. <laughs> and Skeet just really wanted to be the one to do it. So he did it. And that was a fun scene. And that was a that was the scene. And it was just so weird. I don't know why he wanted... I'm sure there's probably great bloopers of him actually attacking Randy and them having a good time. And that's why he wanted to be the one in the suit. Yeah. But... He just, for some reason, that's the scene he wanted to do. <laughs> so, all right, give me one of yours. Um, trying to figure out which one I want to do first. Ah, just throw the first one out. Come on. Okay. So, the iconic mask. Yes. It was not made for this film. It was actually a mask that already existed, and they found it while they were location scouting. They found it in one of the people's houses who were gracious enough to take, let them take it back and try to make replicas to make, like, base it off of that mask. Yeah. And they tried. They made, like, 15 different versions of this mask to try and make it right. And they just couldn't do it. They're like, you know what? This is, this is just not working out. Why don't we just talk to the manufacturer see if we can get the rights for it? And they did. And, uh, and it works so perfectly. You can actually go online and find the... Um, concept drawings that they tried to do to recreate the mask and they are terrible and they would have made them would they would have made a movie terrible. now i need to see them yeah um the mask was originally called uh peanut eyed ghost well that's uh, what it is called it's now called Ghostface. well yes but the crew i know this one <laughs> the crew and the writer and everybody it was never it was always referred to during filming as the peanut eyed ghost because that's the name of the costume mm-hmm. from the company that they yeah. got it from from uh fun world incorporated that's it i was like i don't know the company but yes yes uh probably a great move by that company because they've changed everything name wise to ghostface and they still own the rights to the costume oh they do 
they, but you can't buy them from the company directly uh, in small quantities. You can only buy them in, like, large quantities from them. Well, yeah, because they're just selling to, like, uh, what's that? What's that? Halloween City and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Who's buying it? I, I tried to look up how much they sell a year. I could not find it, but, like, uh, I think lot. it's going to be insane. It's, it's the uh, highest-selling Halloween costume of all time since 1996. It is still the highest-selling costume of all time. Yeah. Because they keep making Scream movies, so... Um, very good, very good. So, I'm gonna roll through... How many do you have? You got quite a few, or uh, just... No, I only have two more, because I already told told you one of mine. Okay, cool. So, I'm gonna roll a couple of mine, and then we'll come back to you. Yeah. So, Tatum, played by Rose McGowan, mm-hmm. she tries to crawl through a pet door, and then gets stuck in it, and dies when the garage door goes up. Yeah. First of all, who has a pet door in their garage door? That's super weird. I've never seen that. In fact, the crew had never seen that either, and they had to make it. <laughs> um, but that's not the fun fact. The fun fact with Google is that Rose McGowan could fit through the door. <laughs> I know. It definitely seemed like she could fit yeah, through. Yeah, she, she fit through the door. So what they had to do was they actually nailed her shirt to the door, to the garage door, so that when she was struggling, she could actually struggle and not be able to get free. <laughs> because she would just go and slip right through. Yeah, I was going to say, her shoulders and everything made it look like she could definitely just get through that. Oh, yeah, it's so funny. Um, So the principal, who we didn't talk about in this movie, but he's played by Henry Winkler, the Mm -hmm. Fonz. Great, (laughs) great cameo. Um, He wasn't originally supposed to die in the script. Really? So he dies in the movie, Ghostface kills him, he wasn't supposed to die. But the producers read the script and went, hey, Kevin, there's 30 pages where no one dies. <laughs> Fix it. And he was like, okay. And he kills the principal. But it's funny because it actually helped him out in a later scene that he was stuck on when that happened because he needed a reason for everybody to leave the party uh, at Stu's house. Yeah. So if you remember in the movie, a bunch of guys are sitting on the couch and they're all talking about Jamie Lee Curtis flashing her breasts in a movie. And who wouldn't? Randy gets a phone call about the principal dying and how he was strung up at the football fields. And all the guys there go, oh, we should go check it out. And they all leave. Yep. And he didn't know how to get everybody out of the house. <laughs> so him killing the principal, because the producers said to, gave him an out there too. Oh, that is so good. That's It's so funny. Stars were aligning right? for that moment. Speaking of <laughs> dead people, um, Dewey who survives the movie, was never meant to survive the movie. He's supposed to be dead. Wes Craven shot two endings, one with a dead Dewey, one without a dead Dewey. And fans could not get enough of a live Dewey. And Wes (laughs) was like, cool, we cannot kill him because he will be in other things. And so they didn't kill him. But he originally was supposed to die. It's why in the scene where Gale gets shot and she falls onto Dewey, he's not breathing. It's why his body position never changes. Now, they chalk it up to him just being unconscious. Yeah. But, like, he never moves. He's stiff as a board because he's supposed to be dead until later when he's being put in an ambulance because Wes just had a feeling people were going to like him. So he (laughs) shot two endings just in case. Yeah. Smart thinking. Yeah. If you kind of are... If you're unsure, do it twice. Well, more so, like, if you are making a film and you, like, are starting to notice people, like, really gravitating towards a character or someone's performance is really good and they're scheduled to die, 
just just in case make a make exactly. an out for them just in case exactly all right hit me with your next one all right um because it was on such a tight budget you can actually hear Wes Craven doing some of the whistling for the theme song oh no the, way the whistling in it I, I didn't is actually know this one. yeah is actually Wes Craven he had to record some of the whistling so that he could get the theme song the way he wanted it what yeah. okay that's awesome he's so hands on um because one of my fun things is Wes Craven is in the movie. Yeah. He's in the movie. He plays the janitor. So at one point, the principal walks out and he's like really angry because somebody keeps knocking on his door. And he, he looks out and there's a janitor just, just mopping. And that's Wes Craven, the director, the iconic director who has made like some of the most all-time Hellraiser, uh, Friday the 13th, like great movies. Yeah. And he's the janitor. And the fun part is, He's wearing the Freddy Krueger sweater. And not just a replica. He is dressed head to toe like Freddy Krueger with the actual costume from the first Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare (laughs) on Elm Street. Freddy Krueger because he owns it. And he thought it would be a nice little touch. I actually chuckled at this part in the movie. And I know you like we had to pause it because you were (laughs) like, do you know who that was? And I'm like, Freddy (laughs) Krueger. I I didn't know who... uh, Freddy was actually. <laughs> yeah. All right, hit me with your other one. Uh, my final one is that it actually could have been titled Scary Movie. That was its uh, production name, and they were actually really upset when they found out they had to change it. Uh, and then they actually changed it uh, to Scream, which had two different um, reasons why. A lot of the film was uh, done in the color scheme of the painting the famous painting the screaming painting so, so and the mask was modeled off of it exactly so that was part and then it was also based on a michael jackson song called scream <laughs> <laughs> that's so fantastic they, they finally changed it and then the team was like i i can't picture it as anything else but yeah we could have had scary movie well th- good thing we didn't though because then we get a wonderful parody movie couple years later called scary movie which main inspiration is this movie yeah so that's interesting um another one i got is at the end of every single movie you always get a thank you section and it's just thanking people for helping out like if you went out of the way you donated or let let us film there or whatever you get a nice little shout out in the thank you section Mm -hmm. pay attention in the closing credits of scream though there is a non thank you section (laughs) Uh, we hate you section yes pretty much <laughs> so because Wes Craven's a grudge holding son of a bitch and I love it so much they were originally supposed to shoot at a different high school mm-hmm. and the high school agreed and they were all set and then they read the script again and they said not nah, too much violence we don't want you here so last minute they had to pivot find a new high school and film all the high school scenes that high school is Santa Rosa High School and if you watch the end credits there's a special non-thank you where Wes Craven says no thanks to the people and the board at Santa Rosa High School in making this film. No thanks. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's a grudge-holding <laughs> son of a bitch, and I love it. Like, you could have just let it go, man. No. Like, you had to call them out and be like, they suck. And I love that. I love putting little things in your credits. Like, Yeah. That. Make us, give us a reason to pay. Stop. It doesn't always have to be a post credit scene. Yeah. Just give me some reason to watch them. Little animations, little fun things like this. Mm-hmm. Music. Do a really good musical song. I'll sit there the whole time. I have done that, love actually. That. <laughs> All right. I got a few more here. Um, so in the end of the movie, 
Sydney hides in a closet dressed like Ghostface, and she pops out and she stabs Billy with a broom or with an umbrella. Mm-hmm. She stabs him once, stabs him again. Yeah. Apparently, the first time hit the pad that was supposed to hit. The second stab, the stuntman missed and actually hit Skeet Ulrich with Ooh. the tip of the umbrella. That's bad enough. But when Skeet was younger, he had heart surgery. So he's got a metal stint in his chest. And apparently that kind of stint that he has is very sensitive. Very sensitive. Like any kind of pressure or force is painful. And that's exactly where the tip of the umbrella hit. So the reaction you see from Billy where his mouth just goes gape and his eyes just kind of roll back is real honest pain from getting hit where doctors were like, don't ever get hit here. And that's exactly where he got hit. <sighs> so, Why didn't he just wear an entire pad across his chest? Like, come because on. it would change the look of things. Uh, don't, no know? one cares. I know, I know. Um, Fix it in post. <laughs> two things outside of the movie that I thought were nice little things. So the writer eventually came out as a gay man. Mm-hmm. And for years, people were like, is there a weird homoerotic relationship between Billy and Stu? It's like, they're oddly close at times. And, like, the way Stu looks at Billy is like, mm, I'm going to eat you up later. It's, it's yeah. kind of weird. You've noticed it, right? You've bit. noticed it in the movie. He, he never has admitted it, but everybody always thought it. And then when he eventually came out as a gay man himself, it all kind of made sense now. He <laughs> still hasn't admitted it, but it makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. And I just thought that was interesting. Not, like, you know, not it's not good. It's not bad. It's not... You're gay, man. That's awesome. Well, to be fair, I feel like a lot of that those like gay moments are more so just um, Stu kind of acting. The the person who's playing Stu, I can't. Oh my god, what's his name? Matthew Lillard. Yeah, Matthew yes. Lillard acting. Like it. It was never well, really. Yeah, I don't verbal. I don't know if doing. it was like the director saying do this or the writer having like wrote the character and being like he's like this. Yeah. You know, when you get that treatment about a character. That's not stuff we see. That's what the actor gets so that they can portray the character. Yeah. I don't know if it was in there or what, but, like, the way he looks at him, the way he kind of gets close to him and talks Calls about him. him and yeah. It definitely, it's there, but he he was always like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and then he came out as a gay man, and every single person was like, knew it! <laughs> but we still haven't gotten confirmation. My last fun time with Google is... So David Arquette and Courtney Cox started dating after this movie and then got married. Okay. And they had a wonderful relationship. They were like talk of the town for the longest time. And then they eventually got divorced. Because all Hollywood relationships yeah, basically. Do. But that relationship would have never happened if it wasn't for Wes Craven. Oh? Like directly, Wes Craven is responsible for that. According to David Arquette in an interview with People Magazine... Wes Craven, who encouraged him to pursue Dayton Cox, said, dating Courtney Cox, said, Wes had a real impact. He was like, David, you know she likes you, and you should really get your stuff together. He gave me a real man-to-man talk, and that had an impact on the course of my life. Hmm. So David Arquette had no idea that Courtney Cox liked him until Wes was like, you're an idiot. (laughs) Please just go talk to her and 
they got together. So the chemistry was real. Chemistry was real. Chemistry was real, and it gets more real. They're just real. really into that role that it just kept going. Yeah, it gets more real in the yeah. second movie, too. <laughs> uh, I just thought that was interesting, that it was one of those things that shows what being on a movie set's like. I've had that a few times. I met you on a movie set. Yes. Um, I've met other people. I've had relationships with other people. It, friendships, relationships, everything. And it just goes to show that like when you're making a movie you really get to know the people you're working with. Oh, yeah. Like, you get to know them as if, like, you've been friends for years because you spend so much time together. The fact that Wes Craven saw this this <laughs> budding relationship between the two who wouldn't mention it to each other and he had to kind of step in, just great on-set story. Oh, yeah. To just That's share. wonderful. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Yes. Oops. I believe we're going to awards next. Is that correct? Correct. Can I interject with a few questions? Yes. Yes. Okay. Are these answerable questions? Maybe. Okay. I'm not sure. Okay. Here we go, guys. Brand new section. Questions. I have two. You hit me. One one is kind of pertinent. One is a little more fun. Uh, The more pertinent one is, why did they wait a full year to continue killing? Like, that made absolutely no sense to me. What do you mean? Because it, it comes out that they killed... They killed Sydney's mom. Yes. Yes. So why wait a whole year? Until, Anniversary. But why? Because uh, they kill other people, not just her. So it's like... They weren't... Him and Sydney were not together a year ago. So yeah. I'm sure he had to get close to Sydney so that it would all play out the way they wanted it to. It was just weird to me. And they had to plan things. They waited a, an entire year. Understandable, but I think it was more... This wasn't a spur-of-the-moment killing spree. Mm-hmm. There was definitely thought. I feel like Sydney's mom was kind of like in-the-moment kind of thing. Yeah. Like, they found out about it, and the next day they... So, Sydney's mom was sleeping with Billy's dad, mm-hmm. and it caused his whole family life to get just jacked. Yeah. And he blamed her, so that's why him and Stu killed her. Yeah. I have a feeling that that was kind of like they found that out on a Tuesday, did it on a Wednesday. <laughs> You know, like, yeah. found out on Tuesday, killed her on a Wednesday. Although they were able to frame someone for it, so they must have yeah. had a little bit more Okay, talk. fine. Found out on a Tuesday, killed on a Friday. Okay. Right? And I think this was such a bigger spree that they were about to do, a bigger event. They just needed time okay. to kind of put it all together and plan things out because they had to, like, do it slowly. They couldn't just attack everybody in one night. They would fall apart. So it was like, we have to do Casey. We got to get everybody on edge so that they close stuff down and they do all this. We got to kill the principal so that they close school down so that everybody's at home all the time and, you know, all that. So they kind of had to plan it out and I think that's maybe why it took so long. And then once you're already at like, well, it's six months later. Well, shit, why don't we just wait six months and do it on the anniversary so that like when I tell her the motive, it's even worse. I guess. I think it was just he was so sadistic that he wanted to wait till the anniversary so that it would hit that much harder. Okay. And then the real question of, why does Tatum have two beds in her room? Why doesn't she? Why wouldn't she have two beds? Why do you, though? Like, does she spend one night in one bed and one night in the next bed? Like, just well, it's just in case I have a friend stay over. So, possible. Possible. But we also don't know how big Tatum's family is. It's possible that she, at some point, shared that room. Mm-hmm. And now doesn't. And they just kept the bed in there. Or it's just they had an extra bed and her room was the only one that it would fit in or that would make sense to put it in. These are just the thoughts that haunt me. Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. Do I have any questions that haunt me about Scream? <sighs> yes. 
Mm-hmm. Here's my question about Scream. Okay. How do we go back to a time when a mass event is happening and an entire town agrees and shuts down and does what they're supposed to do? Yeah. I don't even think that was possible back then. Just that's movie magic right that's there? That's movie magic. Because, like, like that, there's some killings. That doesn't happen. There are some killings. A curfew is set in place. And immediately shops are like, oh, we'll close down. We'll go home. We don't care. Yep. Let's do it for the good of the people. Close the school. That's just... And now we can't done. even get people to wear masks yeah. for five minutes inside a store. Yeah. Jesus. Okay. That Those are the pressing questions. Okay. Yeah. Now, now that my tangent's over. Uh, <laughs> All right. Moving to on to the award section. Yeah. So first up is our Paddington Award, and that is for... It's named after Paddington Bear, who just melts my heart every time I see him in anything, especially his two movies. Mm-hmm. So this is the award for somebody or a scene that melted your heart. Yes. Who do you got? Randy. Randy? Randy. Randy. Yeah, Randy. Uh, Because he's just so into what he's talking about. He's so enthusiastic pretty much every moment that he's on screen that I just, it it touches me. (laughs) And then he, and then he survives. And then he survives. And then his whole line of, this is the one time I'm happy to be a virgin. (laughs) It, It kills me. I love him so much. And yet, and yet, you thought he was one of the killers. At one point, yeah. Mostly because I knew there was two killers and I got put, pushed off of um, Billy because I was like, they're pointing too hard at him. But you're it sexist. Be here. You didn't think it was one of the women. Well, I kind of knew that part, too. Oh, well, whatever. Yeah. Cheater. I know. Um, I don't have a Paddington Award, so we're just going to move on. That's fair. Um, <laughs> next up is your most replayable scene. This is the scene that if it's on TV, you're going to watch the rest of the movie. Okay. Go for it. Mine is super late in the movie. It's the explanation scene. Like, they finally cornered Sydney, and they're not wearing the masks or anything, and they kind of go through, like, well, why do I need an explanation? I'm going to... It's gonna the motive gi- I'm, scene. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm going to give you my motive, but why do I need one? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Mine's also kind of late in the movie, and it's Randy explaining the rules of horror movies. <laughs> when he pauses the movie that they're watching to get up to be like, here's the rules. But it's not just the explaining the rules. It's literally like one specific moment of him explaining the rules. And it's, he gets up and he's explaining, can't, gotta be a virgin, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, and never say I'll be right back because you'll never be right back. Those people don't. <laughs> and <laughs> Stu gets up and he's like, I'm going to get another beer. You want one? And Randy's like, yeah. And then Stu turns, around, turns to him and goes, I'll be right back, and disappears. <laughs> and then the way Randy responds of like, oh, he's dead. I'll see you in the kitchen later with a knife. Yeah. And it's funny, because then later in the movie, Stu's in the kitchen getting stabbed with a knife. Yep. Which eventually leads to his death. And that part is just so good. And I just love the rule explanation and yep. the way Matthew Lillard says that I'll be right back. It's the best it's line read so ever. so good. I love it, and it's like, all right, I'm in. I'll sit down, and let's just watch the rest of it, because everything's about to go haywire anyway, so I might as well just finish it. That's fair. So, all right. Next up, we, uh, do you have a what award? I do not. Cool, we're going to skip that one, because I don't have one either. Next up is the new award we haven't done yet before. It is the, you know, I'm somewhat of a scientist myself award. The and most. it's the most meme-worthy mm-hmm. moment of the movie. Do you have one? Mine 
is a little bit combined with my best moment, so I'll let you go first. Okay, cool. Uh, hold it till your best moment, then. So, my scientist award goes to Stu Mocker at the end of the movie. Sydney's on the phone, and she's telling Billy all about how she called the police, and they're going down because she's escaped their custody. Yeah. Billy drops the phone, and it hits Stu in the head, and it's not... In the script. It was an accident. <laughs> he actually let the phone go on accident, hit him in the head. Wes Craven loved it so much, he kept it in. Yeah. And that's a great moment because the reaction is beautiful. I was like, come on, man. Why'd you hit me with a phone? But then he picks it up and he's like, Sydney, did you really call the cops? She's like, yeah, you bet your ass I did. He's like, my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. And like, he's bleeding out dying right now. Dude, that's... that. I love it because I'm just sitting there thinking like all the memes you could make out of that. The picture of him bleeding on the phone is such a meme worthy moment where you could literally (laughs) plug in any words over that. And it makes sense. Like you can literally plug in if you were dying, what do you do? Hey, Domino's, I'd like to order a large pizza. Like anything (laughs) you put over that totally works. That's my most meme worthy moment. That's rather funny because that's actually my best moment that's also my most I'll let you moment. I'll let you uh go into your reasons why when we get to the best <laughs> moment part um so two new awards that we're going to be doing for the month of October for Halloween month first one is what is the best kill mm-hmm. in the movie yeah go ahead it definitely goes to tatum's kill in the garage door Ooh, agreed that is my choice as well i will let you explain why you picked it it is so unique and so situational that i thought i thought you i haven't seen anything like it and i've seen quite a few horror movies in which people you know die (laughs) i've seen a lot of horror movies in which people die in really unique ways but not one like this no not one where she is literally seconds away from escaping and gets caught in a freaking pet door. Yep. Like how, what sick twisted mind, well, we know, we know who the writer is. What (laughs) sick twisted mind came up with that moment? Because it is wonderful in the best way. Yeah. It is sick. It is sadistic. It is twisted, but all in a good way. Oh yeah. And I love it. And it was, so interesting. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. It was done practically? It was done practically, yes. She was in a harness, and she was strung up, and then hung. And then a dummy was placed when it actually went to crush you. Yeah. So, I it, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, agreed. That Definitely by far the best kill for me. Yeah. Uh, second new award, just for the month of October, is the best red herring mm-hmm. in the movie. Yeah. What person or moment or line of dialogue threw you off the case the most the entire character of randy mostly when uh like especially in the beginning of the movie with uh casey's death they're talking a lot about uh horror movies horror tropes that kind of thing and how invested this character was in horror films it just was like ooh, mm, that that could you could probably be it because you're super obsessed with these horror films and so does the killer seem to be. Like, so that that was a good red herring for That me. is a wonderful red herring. My second favorite or best red herring. Yeah. 
My best red herring in the movie is the principal. Really? One scene, though. And I know you're going to talk about this scene with the next award as well. But two kids run through. So this is after Casey died. Two kids run through the hallway with ghost face masks on. In poor taste. In poor taste. Absolutely in poor taste. Um, It's after Sydney's been attacked, too, and they run past her, and it becomes a whole thing. And then they get in trouble, and they're in the principal's office. And Henry Winkler takes out scissors, and he's, like, cutting up the mask, and the kids are like, come on, man, just be cool, just whatever. Don't do that. You don't have to do that. And he flips on them. He flips a switch and gets really creepy and really aggressive. He puts the scissors up to one of the kids' chest, and says, no, what I should be doing is I should be cutting off your flesh and cutting into you. And gets really weird here. Yeah. Really weird. And I think it's great. Because, again, I already knew the twist. I'd seen this movie before. And yet I still was like, what's with the principal? Why, why is he like that? Yeah. <laughs> That's a little too much. Like, him yelling at them is one thing, but, like, threatening them with sharp scissors talking about how he should kill them is like you might not be ghostface but you are something yeah i feel like you've killed somebody in your past I think ghostface did us a favor yeah just so just it's such a weird moment that like watching the movie it just throws you off yeah you're like what does he have to do with anything because you don't just do that for the sake of doing it yeah so that's my best red herring all right Next up is our Jar Jar Binks Award for the person or moment that does not hold up at all. Does not hold up the worst. Yeah. What do you got? The exact scene you just I just knew it was it. coming. Yeah. It is so jarring, so out of place that I just don't get why it's in the film. Why do we need this part where this principal is literally going off the rails? Makes no sense to me. And it's for no purpose. We don't need that scene besides to kill him. I think we need that scene because, like I said, it's a red herring. You you came into this movie knowing there was two killers. Yeah. But you didn't know who. You knew one. So I'm sure you assume the other one must have been a student as well. You know, they want to make one a student and one a 60-year-old principal. Yeah. But watching that movie with fresh eyes without knowing the twist, he definitely is like, oh, God. He's something. Something is happening here. And I think that's why. I but I get it is definitely out of place. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. his whole character is weird. Um, so we already talked about my Jar Jar Binks moment. And it's Sidney Prescott giving up her virginity to Billy. Yeah. It's out of place. It slows down the momentum that this movie's been building up. It makes no sense for her character. And uh, the only reason I could think of even maybe possibly having it is because it makes her more vulnerable vulnerable when she then discovers Billy's actually the killer. Definitely. But other than that one little thing... Nothing about that scene works for me. Yeah. Nothing about it holds up. It makes no sense because it's like, were you like, were you trying to wait until she had sex with you? So then it hurts even more because now you're kind of like a slut like your mom. 
or what? Like, but they were trying to kill her before that, so it makes no sense. Right, like if they would have succeed, succeeded before that, the the sex means nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just can't. I can't wrap my head around why that scene exists, other than it's a horror movie and you got to have the obligatory sex scene. Yeah. And it was a bad sex scene. There's plenty of better sex scenes in other horror movies. Yep. Yeah, it, it was just bad. The only funny part was uh, the commentary of the rules while it was happening. Yeah, because that was it was pretty like, good. Have to show the boobs. As yep. soon as you show the boobs, you're gonna die. Yep, that was that was pretty good. But other than that, do without it. Yep. So what's your Paul Rudd Award? The the moment or character that has aged the best? Held up. Held up. Come on, stay on, stay on brand here. Hey. We're all about holding up. I know, but I'm talking about Paul Rudd, who doesn't age. So it's it's the Paul Rudd Award. Because he doesn't age. For the moment or character that holds up the best, because Paul Rudd doesn't age. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. My Paul Rudd Award goes to a scene early in the movie, the water fountain scene. Oh. So in this scene, Sydney, Tatum, Stu, Billy, and Randy are talking. Casey's already died. And they're having conversation about who the killer might be. And Randy's accusing Stu. Stu is accusing Randy. Stu is admitting that it's not a female who did it. Tatum's getting pissed off because he can't admit it might be a woman. Billy's over there still brooding and doing his whole thing and being like, Guys, stop. I don't think you're a killer. Like, all this... It's such a a, a unique moment for these characters where... If you just showed me that and was like, tell me about these characters, I could. I could sit there and go, I know exactly each who each one of these people are because I've had people in my life like these people. Hmm. Not killers, but they're characters. I know those people. And I like the dynamic that they have. I like where it puts them in the hierarchy of their friendship group because Billy and... Sydney are are cuddling. Mm-hmm. They're they're together. Stu and Tatum are cuddling. They're together. Randy's the only one standing up because he's the fish out of water in this group because of how much he likes horror movies. You get that wonderful moment of them being like, "Randy, you're the killer because you love horror movies." That great red herring right there. Yep. Stu is super creepy here, and Randy accuses him of being the killer, and he's like, "Nah, man." But if I was. <laughs> It's just such a great moment to really show each one of their relationship to each other and immediately get us connected to these characters. It is a wonderfully well-written scene, wonderfully acted scene, and wonderfully shot scene. Yeah. It's my Paul Rudd Award. Cool. What about you? Mine, we've already talked about it again, um, is the mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. Oh. So it's like the only part of the movie you liked? <laughs> <laughs> I thought his entire moment there, like his, even the lead up to that, where he's starting to get woozy, you can definitely really see his connection to uh, Billy, how he was almost tricked into what they were doing. And it just, it felt very real. And it felt very much like, oh, what I'm doing actually has consequences. Mom and dad are going to be mad at me, like... This is this is a real thing that's happening right now. Like, I, I think he needed that moment, and I just thought he played it very well, like, comically, but still honestly. So I thought it was a ridiculous line read, 
in the way that it was supposed to be comedic, but I think it was still. But it a worked really... really well for that character. Exactly. Um, I I love that scene too. I no comments about why it's your best scene, but I do have a fun little background about that particular moment okay. for you. Uh, it doesn't exist. It's not written. <laughs> it's not written anywhere. It was math. It was Matthew Lillard just being like, I came up with a really good line. I'm gonna say it. If they like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. He spit it out, and Wes Craven went, Matthew Lillard, you're a genius. It's staying in the movie. Um, especially because it came right after the phone slipping out of Billy's hand and hitting him in the head, which was also an uh, improv moment because that wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah. And it was just, what a showcase for Matthew Lillard in that literal 15 seconds of movie. And I- I'm with you. There are very few scenes that I put above that moment. Yeah. It's so good. So good. So good. All right. So, final thoughts. Go. I think as a horror comedy, this movie holds up. If it wasn't as meta, it it wouldn't be talked about today, I don't think. It did enough where it was like, I'm I'm pointing out all the things that I'm doing, and that's what makes it work. If it didn't point it out, I think it would have just been a little formulaic and not as memorable. So the fact that it did all those things, it did those little nods that made it different, made it so rewatchable and watchable to new people today as I just watched it, I think it holds up. Especially with all the practical effects and everything. Okay. Oh God, people are going to hate me. It doesn't hold up for you? It doesn't hold up for me. What? I think Scream is this this particular Scream. And let me clarify it for our audience here. When we say something holds up, we don't necessarily mean it's a good movie. We just mean it holds up. Like what they did works. Yes. And still works. When we say something doesn't hold up, we don't mean it's a bad movie and it's not worth watching. We just mean there's things in it that don't live up to today's standards. Okay. And I don't think Scream holds, this particular Scream holds up. In what way? I think the meta works, but if we're talking about 2022, it's been done to death. Because people copied this movie so much that it doesn't work anymore. I also don't think some of the jokes work because they're products of their time. It's a lot of that, like, this is a nine, This is a very 90s movie. It's not one of those timeless movies where it's like, well, this could take place at any time. This is a very 90s movie. Okay. So I don't think that holds up at all. I don't think some of the acting holds up. I think Nev Campbell is, like we said, serviceable. But in today's age, that's a joke of a performance. That's fair. I think a lot of the characters are just out of place. I don't think they really mesh that well together in, in, at times, and it can slow down the pace of the movie. We already talked about how I don't like the beginning being connected to the rest of the movie. I think there's just a lot of things that could be approved, improved upon if they were to remake this movie, which they have a bunch of different screams, and they keep changing it, and the scream in 2022 wasn't good. They tried to do the same thing, but it didn't work. 
So if, if a movie based on Scream, which was not, it was a sequel, but it was one of those like legacy sequels that was trying to like forget maybe some of the other stuff. They were kind of like only picking and choosing what they wanted mm -hmm. going into this sequel. And they even brought back the legacy characters like Sydney, like Gale, like Dewey. They brought them all back to tell this new story. And it was fine. It, it was it was okay. It wasn't great. It it made money, but that's mostly because like we were still coming out of the pandemic the pandemic earlier this year. There wasn't that many movies in theaters. So it was like, if you want to go see something, this is kind of what you get. And it still couldn't pass $100 million at the box office. Like, this movie passed $100 million over eight months in 1996. The new one couldn't pass $100 million with inflation. Yeah. So the whole general audience is saying this doesn't work anymore. Well, and does it so, not work or is it played out to death? I don't think it works. I don't think... I think audiences, moviegoers now are more in tune with what horror movies do that the two killers doesn't work. I think a lot of the meta-ness works in 96 because you're referencing stuff that's not 100 years old. You're referencing stuff that's like 10 years old, 15 years old. 2022, Halloween's 40 years old. It doesn't work. Look it's at the Halloween movies that came out, 2018, 2020. They don't work. Or 2021 was Halloween Kills. They don't work. How come the original Halloween worked, but these new ones didn't work? I mean... Audiences are just... They're there. We want a different kind of horror. I don't think it holds up. You can have a good time watching it, but at the end, you're going to go, yeah, that was a product of its time. I don't need to see a new one. <laughs> All right. I know. That's so controversial. Hate me. Hate me. Come at, <laughs> come at me on Twitter. I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, I just don't think it, I just don't think it holds up. I think it's a great movie. I think you could watch it and enjoy parts of it, but overall it's like it happened. It was a phenomenon when it happened and let's move on. All right. Crazy. I know. All right. Anyway, guys, you can hit us up on Twitter at does it hold up one three. You can follow us on YouTube at does it hold up. You can follow us on TikTok, does it hold up, underscore between each word. You can also check out our Instagram, does it hold up, one, three. We're all over the place. Um, we'd love to hear feedback from you. Obviously, you can listen to this podcast, anywhere podcasts are available. You can also listen to our new series that comes out every Tuesday, sequels and reboots, anywhere podcasts are available as well. Same channel. Always, It's just always under the does it hold up. Anything else you want to you want to plug? No, I think you covered it all. Every social media. Well, you got a channel on YouTube as well. Uh, now it's nothing to do with movies, but if you guys are Lego fans, yeah, check yeah. out uh, Ms. Brick Builder, M S Brick Builder. Yeah. Check her out on YouTube or TikTok. Uh, it's just a bunch of fun Lego stuff. Yeah, loads of Lego stuff. Loads of Lego stuff. Um, so if you're into that kind of stuff, check that out as well. I think that's about it, right? Yeah. Cool. All right. Come tell me on Twitter how much you think I'm an idiot for saying Scream doesn't hold up. Can't wait to hear it. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, guys, keep watching movies. Bye.